okay now let's talk about stroke stroke is a sudden death of brain cells in the localized area due to the inadequate blood flow depending on the region affected it may cause paralysis speech impairment and also loss of memory coma or death stroke is a medical emergency and it require emergent uh, treatment okay classification of stroke can be it can be divided into hemorrhagic stroke and also ischemic stroke yeah now moving on to the risk factors of stroke so hypertension is one of the most common risk factors another one is diabetes atrial fibrillation can cause embolic stroke smoking age sex obesity hyperlipidemia familial history and uh, a high red blood cell count conditions such as polycythemia vera and uh, physical inactivity oral contraceptive use which causes increase in the viscosity of blood and the intravenous drug use so hypertension diabetes atrial fibrillation smoking age obesity hyperlipidemia family history red blood cells count high and physical inactivity oral contraceptive and intravenous drug use moving on to the clinical presentation symptom of the embolic stroke is usually quite sudden okay and uh, are at their most in tense right from the start okay like it is maximum at the start while symptoms of the thrombotic stroke is uh, usually gradual blurring and decreased vision in both eyes can occurs okay or even in one eye can occur severe headache nausea vomiting and weakness numbness paralysis of face arm legs usually confined to one side of the body dizziness loss of the balance or coordination and especially when uh, combined with other symptoms all these things can also occur in stroke intolerance of noise and light are also the features of stroke so in tolerance of noise and light and dizziness and all other things now when a patient presents with a stroke the clinician must rule out definitive uh, uh, like define the underlying etiology first you should try to find out the etiology and define the vascular locus of the event like where this stroke has had occurred okay now non contrast ct scan of the head is extremely sensitive in detecting the non hemorrhagic stroke okay non contrast ct scan and contrast ct scan may be helpful in identifying the aneurysm and also av malformations or the tumor mri is superior for showing the underlying structural lesions echocardiography ecg and ultra carotid duplex vdrl fta and glucose hba1c are all indicated in the patient with stroke because uh, these are used to identify the cause or etiology ecg carotid duplex vdrl fta glucose okay now emergency treatment of stroke from a blood clot is aimed at dissolving the clot okay this is called as thrombotic therapy which is currently performed and most often with the tissue plasminogen activator tpa is used which is uh, acting for as a thrombolytic therapy okay thrombolytic must be administered within 3 hours of the stroke so this 3 hour duration is very important the patients with a clot related stroke uh, who are ineligible for tpa treatment uh, uh, like you can say correlated uh, clot related stroke they who are ineligible we can't give tpa in them such as these patient are uh, having uh, any kind of like clot related disease is there so that time we use uh, heparin okay or also other blood thinners can be used if tpa is contraindicated then you can use heparin or other blood thinners such as aspirin or any other anticoagulant such as clopidogrel like that okay that can be used yeah so blood thinners are used now treatment surgery for hemorrhage due to the aneurysm may be performed if aneurysm is closed enough to the cranial surface okay like we can go for surgical removal of an aneurysm 
uh, if there is any kind of hemorrhagic stroke or like that and that is done only when the aneurysm is close to the cranial surface okay ruptured vessels are close off to prevent the re-bleeding we close the ruptured vessels for aneurysms that are difficult to reach surgically we can go for endovascular treatment okay like endovascular treatment can be done for them and control hypertension diabetes and hyperlipidemia are main aim of a stroke okay like we need to control hypertension diabetes and hyperlipidemia rehabilitations helps uh, the patient to regain the function as much as possible and also compensate for the permanent losses like all what has occurred it can prevent that now treatment uh, other like now, now let's talk about the contraindication to thrombolytic therapy as i told you like in such cases if uh, thrombolytic therapy which can't be used so instead of that we can use other thing so here the contraindications to thrombolytic therapy are if there is previous history of bleeding disorders any kind of bleeding disorder then or a very high blood pressure then also we won't use this thrombolytic therapy history of hemorrhagic stroke then no need of using thrombolytic therapy presence of any kind of intracranial neoplasia so we don't use uh, the new blood vessels generated have very thin cap, uh, vessels walls so it can bleed easily okay active bleeding or surgery if was there within six weeks then also we don't use thrombolytic therapy active bleeding or surgery within six weeks stroke within one year stroke within one year suspicion of aortic dissection if any kind of suspicions is there and head trauma intra-surgical surgery intracranial surgery is there in past three months so if there is any kind of intracranial surgery in past three months okay stroke within a year and uh, active bleeding or surgery within six weeks and intracranial neoplasia and all these things are the conditions which are contraindicated to the thrombolytic therapy yeah moving on to the moving on to the spinal cord injury i am covering the spinal cord injury in this uh, audio only okay so spinal cord injury is damage to the spinal cord that result in loss of the functions such as mobility or feeling okay now spinal cord injury occurs at a rate of 30 to 40 per million population per year and result in approximately 10,000 new cases each year so there are 10,000 new cases of in spinal cord injury and the rate is 30 to 40 per million population per year okay and the primary precipitant uh, of the injury is motor vehicle accident. So 90% of the patient is uh, having this spinal cord injury is because of the motor vehicle accident only. Okay, now let's talk about the risk factors. So young males and people who are active in sports and also people with predisposing conditions, other risk factors so like young males, people with uh, who are active in sports and are also having other kind of predisposing conditions are more prone to the spinal cord injury. The pathophysiology of the spinal cord injury may be divided into two distinct phases such as primary and the secondary injury. The primary injury refers to the structural damage occurring instantly after a traumatic event. Okay, So if any kind of structural damage which has occurred immediately, okay, instantly after a traumatic event, that is the primary injury. And secondary injury refers to the pathophysiological cascade that initiated shortly after the injury, okay, and including other kind of ischemic insult, hypoxemia, edema, or various harmful chemical event which all are occurring that are part of secondary injury ischemia is very prominent uh, feature of uh, post spinal cord uh, injury okay event within two hours of the injury there is significant reduction in the spinal cord blood flow so within uh, two hours of the spinal cord injury there is significant reduction in the blood flow which can lead to ischemia okay now uh, when autoregulation is lost, the blood flow becomes dependent on the systemic pressure. Okay, so it depends on systemic pressure. Edema formation is another feature of the secondary injury process. Okay, 
and edema develops first at the injury site and subsequently it spreads to the adjacent structures and sometimes to distant spinal cord segment also okay so it can involve other portion of spinal cord also biochemical mechanism includes increase in the intracellular calcium in, and increase in the extracellular potassium and also increase in the sodium permeability so biochemical mechanism of the spinal cord injury there is increase in the intracellular calcium within the cell calcium is increasing extracellular potassium level is increasing and also intracellular uh, overall like sodium permeability is increasing overall okay so inside for calcium increasing extracellular potassium increasing overall sodium permeability increasing now other events such as excitatory neurotransmitter accumulation and also arachidonic acid release and endogenous opioid activation prostaglandin productions has also been implicated as a damaging element for the post injury cases okay so release of excitatory neurotransmitter and arachidonic acid release opioid endogenous opioid activation prostaglandin production all this other events such as free radical productions and lipid peroxidation are believed to play a central role in this process okay so free radical and lipid peroxidations are also important part of spinal cord injury now all these event cumulatively causes ischemia edema formation and also membrane destruction cell death and eventually can lead to the permanent neurological deficit okay so ultimately uh, these are causing permanent neurologic deficit with a complete transverse myelopathy all the motor and the sensory functions below the level of the injury is absent so if someone says there is complete transverse myelopathy that means the mot all motor and sensory function below the level of the injury is absent next is the neurological level of injury is most caudal or lower lowest spinal cord segment with the normal sensations and muscle strength of 3 by 5 or better okay so most caudal or the lower spinal cord segment is now with the normal sensation okay and muscle strength of 3 by 5 or better an incomplete injury says that uh, present with preservation of any of the motor or the sensory function below the level of the injury okay including the sacral sparing so sacral portion is spared in case of incomplete injury in case of acute spinal cord injury can it this can result in spinal shock also which can lead to total flaccid paralysis below the level of the lesion so if there is total flaccid paralysis below the level of the lesion you must think about acute spinal cord injury which is causing or resulting into the spinal shock okay total flaccid paralysis below the level of the lesion now cervical medullary syndrome is characterized by respiratory dysfunction okay so in cervical medullary syndrome there is respiratory dysfunction there is hypotension there is variable tetraplegia, hyperesthesia from C1 to C4 and sensory loss of the face with an onion skin pattern. So onion skin pattern, sensory loss of the face and onion skin pattern. Also there is hyperesthesia. Okay, like you will feel the sensation are higher. Okay, like excessive sensation is there from C1 to C2 region, C4 region and there is variable tetraplegia like one hand can be involved or depending and another one is hypotension respiratory dysfunction. So this is cervical medullary syndrome. Now partial or incomplete lesion of the spinal cord can result in four types of pattern or deficit. Okay, so the first one is the anterior cord syndrome. So complete paralysis and hyperesthesia at the level of the lesions but intact touch and vibration senses because touch and vibration senses are carried away by the posterior cord that is the dorsal column tract so that is involved in case of posterior cord syndrome not in the anterior cord anterior cord they are spared okay so light touch and vibration sense is spared other th other than that there is complete paralysis and hyperesthesia at the level of the lesion in posterior cord syndrome the posterior column is damaged so there is impairment in the light touch and also the proprioception which result in hyperextension injuries result from actually hyperextension injury such as fracture of the vertebral arch so if someone says there is fracture of the vertebral arch you must think about the posterior cord syndrome which can occur okay so light touch which be spared 
and vibration will be spared now moving on to the brown sequard syndrome so it is caused by half a lesion of the spinal cord mainly because of the knife injury okay and it is defined as the ipsilateral motor or the proprioceptive loss and contralateral pain and temperature loss so ipsilateral side on the same side there is motor and proprioception loss and on the contralateral side because of the spinothalamic tract pain and temperature loss is there with the upper level one or two segment below the transection okay so like if the transection is uh, uh, at uh, some particular level then upper of that it is involving two more segments okay chorda equina syndrome is compression of the nerve root below the level of l1 and lower motor neuron deficit with variable sensory motor reflex uh, deficit and reflexes and bladder bowel involvement and sexual dysfunction can occur in chorda equina syndrome but you have to remember below the level of the l1 compression of the nerve roots okay now the investigation which is needed to be done here in spinal cord injury is the plain radiograph of the cervical and the thoracolumbar spine depending upon the neurologic finding and then we need to do go for the ct scan mri only diagnostic modality that allows the direct visualization of the injured cord and cbc arterial blood gas analysis and myelography can be done so myelography can be done abg and cbc can be done mri is the very very important uh, and good test and ct scan on also the plain radiograph can be done of the cervical and the thoracolumbar spine depending upon the neurologic findings now how will you manage this case of so you need to resuscitate and stabilize the patient condition and uh, this must be done immediately also you need to uh, put the patient on immobilization like you should make the patient not move okay and stabilization of the spine is needed okay because of the frequent occurrence of multi system injury the principal advanced trauma life support must be methodically applied okay if significant chest and abdominal injury coexist immediate treatment should be uh, directed to those injuries okay so like if there is any kind of uh, abdominal or chest injury you need to go for the ct scan of the abdomen and that also or you can also go for the fast testing okay focuses is ultrasonography in initial management the establishment and maintenance of the airways takes uh, the first priority okay you need to maintain and establish the airway if any kind of obstruction is there with an uh, with known or suspected spinal cord injury neck manipulation should be minimized you should not do that because it can lead to cervical medullary syndrome an appropriate large bore intravenous line should be placed and fluid resuscitation should be provided because we already said that patient may undergo the hypotension so for that we need to provide the large bore intravenous lines if possible both foley's catheter and nasogastric tube should be placed okay because of the known tendency for the spinal cord uh, perfusion to fall abruptly after sci the systemic blood pressure should be vigorously supported like you need to keep a watch on the blood pressure if any kind of uh, uh, hypotension features is there then you must provide the fluid immediately via the large bore iv needle which you have made uh, created prednisone is also given in some patients to prevent the edema and also prevent the prednisolone methyl prednisolone is given okay to prevent methyl prednisolone is given intravenously to prevent that uh, secondary ischemic injuries pulmonary infections and cardiovascular problems urinary tract infections paralytic ileus skin breakdowns and deep venous thrombosis are the complication of the spinal cord injury because if someone has spinal cord injury he is unable to move so there can there are chances of deep venous thrombosis also skin of that particular area can be can undergo breakdown there can be paralytic ileus also different types of urinary infections because of stresses and cardiovascular problems and also pulmonary infection can occur so yeah this is it about the overall two conditions such as stroke and the spinal cord injuries thank you so much for listening